darkness. The sky didn't make a sound. No breeze to soothe a weary soul. No tears of heaven to wash away the bloody timbers of the cross. We held our breath in disbelief. The guards watched in confusion. Jesus, the King of the Jews, is dead. How could this happen? We believed him. Is this the great deception of heaven that we would be mocked and misled by God? The prophets promised one that would save us, one who would bring freedom and healing. We thought it was this Jesus. We were sure it was him, but he is a man just like the rest of us. And now we are left alone. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus Darkness had won, heaven silent as a tomb. But then, out of the shadows, something happened. Then on the third, at break of dawn, the sun
ask you just to remain uh, standing for just a moment but while I officially welcome you. Thank you so much for being here as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not risen from the dead, our faith is in vain. But aren't you thankful that he did? And that we have hope and we're the only people in the world that really do have hope. If you're a visitor today, I want to direct your attention to our bulletin. There's a care card in there. If you would fill that out and place it in the offering baskets in the back when you leave, we'd really appreciate that. If you're a church member and you have a prayer request or if you want to talk to the staff, please fill that out as well. Also, if you're interested in church membership, okay, fill out this card. That way we'll have a record of that. And then we can contact you personally and, and, and set up a time to have our new members class. But for the next few, few moments before our praise team leads us in praise, stay standing and say hello to your neighbor, wave at your neighbor, and tell them welcome to East Tazewell Baptist Church this morning. Thank you. Free. 
Amen. Thank you. As we come to this prayer time, why don't I ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And this is what I'd like for you to do during this time. Not out loud, and don't touch anybody, but please pray for someone on your row. Lift them up in prayer. One of the great ministries that we have as Christians is this ability and opportunity to intercede for others. And we don't know what anybody on our row is going through, but God does. And Father, as we come to you in prayer, we lift our brothers and sisters in Christ up to you. Father, we pray that you would bless them physically, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, we pray that you would touch their lives like you've touched ours. Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that as a church body, we're a family, and we can pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we're so thankful for an empty tomb that makes salvation possible. Lord, my prayer is that there's anyone here in this auditorium this morning who is lost, that through the Holy Spirit and through the preached word, they'd be saved. Lord, if anyone's watching online that does not know you, Lord, I pray that you would save them for your honor and for your glory. Lord, the resurrection of Jesus Christ made salvation available for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. And we thank you and praise you for that, Father. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say together, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Y'all feel free to sing along with us, clap your hands, whatever, as we praise the Lord today. I serve a risen Savior, He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say, I see His hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer And just the time I need him He is always near He lives, he lives As Jesus lives today He walks with me and talks with me Along life's narrow
双负超过了百分之二十五。喂，黑黑人，黑人。This is what they felt like when it happened, and today, it's how we should feel too. Because what it meant for them, it means for us. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and turn to Revelation chapter one. Last week, if you were here, we talked about. The crucifixion. We talked about the fact that Jesus was the King, and that the King died on the cross, and that the King was mocked, and that the King also uh, provided salvation to whosoever would call upon His name. This morning, we're going to look at the King in His risen glory. Now, this is many years after Easter Sunday. John's on the Isle of Patmos, and then God gives John this unique vision. Notice what He says in verse nine: "I, John, broke both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ." Was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, "I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia: to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea." And all those churches are mentioned, and their address is in chapters two and three. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. His voice as the sound of many waters, and he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his hand on me, saying, "Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and death." Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for one of the clearest pictures of our resurrected Savior that we have. Father, here in the Book of Revelation, and Father, I pray that it would be great, bring great encouragement to us as we celebrate the fact that you are alive. You were dead, but you're alive, as you said, forevermore, never to die again. And Father, I'm just so thankful, Father, that you offer salvation once again to whosoever will. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus made this statement in Mark whenever he was、uh, walking with his disciples. He said this, and the Bible quotes it this way. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. He says, "Behold, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes." And they will be condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, which we looked at last week out of Mark's gospel. They will scourge him, which we looked at. They will spit on him and kill him. Then Jesus says this after the period, and he and the third day he will rise again. And the reason that we can celebrate today is not because of the cross alone; it's because the tomb is empty. So here we have John, some. Thirty to forty years later, scholars are not a hundred percent sure. But then God gives him this unique vision of this King that has risen from the dead in all His glory. First thing we see here, and with any person who believes in the resurrection or has placed their faith and trust in Jesus, you always see the King's purpose 
or the purpose of the king. Notice verse 1 on the screen. John says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave me to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Now notice this unique thing about John, who bore witness. Look at the Greek word beside that. Beside that. That's where you get the word for martyr. One uh, pastor put it this way, the verb bore witness is the Greek word for martyr and carries the weight of a witness in a court of law, having promised to tell the truth. Obviously, it gives us the English word martyr. Or mar a martyr to the Greeks was a man who saw something, testified to what he saw, and would not change his wit witness even at the penalty of death. That's a pretty strong witness. The martyrs, in other words, were the most reliable witnesses in all the ancient world. They died for what they believed and for what they had seen. And then in our text, verse 9, he says this, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ was on the island of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John at this age, late stage in his life, says I'm a prisoner because I will not deny the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Notice where he's at on the screen. He's on the island called Patmos. See the little circle there? Very barren island. It's a place where they sent criminals. We don't know how long John was on the Isle of Patmos. We do know that John left the Isle of Patmos after Domitian died. And we do know that he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John after that. Why did John do that? They say he was in his 90s when he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Because he bore witness to the resurrection. And God gave him a purpose for his life. God gave him a purpose. In verse 2, John says this of chapter 1. I'm going to write everything that I saw. What did John see? What did God allow John to see for his faithful witness? He allowed John to see things like the tribulation, the literal second coming to earth of Jesus riding on a white horse. He allowed John to see the millennial rule and reign of Christ, all thousand years of it. He allowed John to see the final defeat of the devil in Revelation 20. He allowed John to see the great white throne judgment. Get a glimpse of that. He also allowed John to see the new heavens and the new earth. And he also allowed John to see the greatest portrait of Jesus that we have in the Bible. So first off, we see John's purpose. Now, John's purpose and your purpose may not be the same, but you do have purpose in your life. What is it since you've been born again that God has called you specifically to do? God has gifted you in a unique way that only God gifted you that way. He knows your personality. He knows your likes and your dislikes. God promises us that his will for your life is good, acceptable, and perfect. Have you bowed your knee to the purpose of the king's will in your life? Jesus is a king, and we're to obey our king. To do anything less is sinful. And I've shared this with you before. Before God, before I surrendered to the ministry, I honestly felt like that I was living in sin because I did not give my life to what I knew without a shadow of doubt God wanted me to do. Some of you, this is your day, this Easter Sunday, that you finally say yes to the king because not a preacher, not your parents, not your spouse, but God through the Holy Spirit is calling you to do something, whatever that thing is. And I would encourage you to say yes to it because the king has a purpose. When you read Revelation, you see John is on the Isle of Patmos because he followed the king to the point of death. John, John literally says this in that first chapter, I will die for what I believe. John could have got off the Isle of Patmos if he would have denied Jesus, but he never would because he knew something greater was there was something greater than his physical freedom, and that was being honest to who God is and the fact that the tomb is empty. So we see the purpose of the king. Notice the second thing, and this is going to be a long one. We see the portrait of this king. Stephen Lawson said, Probably the clearest portrait of Jesus in all the Bible is found in Revelation 1, verses 12 through 18. The first thing John sees is not so much what he sees, but what he hears. He hears his voice. Notice what he says then I turned to see the voice in verse 12 that spoke with me the voice he heard the voice I bet there are some of you especially you parents that you can hear your child's voice out of a crowd of 30 or 40 kids you can probably pick your child's voice out all right back when I was in high school and I played baseball at Bob Grider Stadium we'd always have decent crowds especially on Friday nights okay but if I did something wrong, there was one voice I could hear above everybody else's, and that was my mama. Don't embarrass our family, son. I could hear her screaming that out. No, she wouldn't scream that out, but I could hear my mama. 
Okay, because you understand a voice. John is on the Isle of Patmos doing time for being honest about his faith, and he hears a voice. At first, he says it's like a trumpet. Then he says it's like many, many waters. wonder how many sermons John had heard. Probably all of them. He had heard that voice, right? John was there when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, because John recorded it. He saw the power of that voice. So when he sees, first thing about Jesus we notice is that voice. He said it's a powerful voice. When John writes 1 John, after he leaves the Isle of Patmos in his 90s, he, he starts out 1 John this way. That which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus, which we have heard, which our eyes have seen, which we have looked upon with our hands and we have handled him concerning the word of life. That voice was always with him. He said that voice is like many waters. Now John had heard Jesus share a, a voice of compassion. Listen to this favorite verse of ours. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. John heard that voice. He also heard this voice of conviction. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you, you shall receive the greater damnation. He heard Jesus say this in John chapter 5 because John, the one who's writing this part of Revelation, wrote it in John 5, 25. Jesus says this, Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Powerful voice. Jesus also said this in John 10. Now listen to what I'm trying to tell you. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. My sheep Hear my voice, and they follow me. If you're, if you're his sheep, you will hear his voice, and you will follow him. That's a promise from Jesus. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. I hadn't shared this with you in a long time, but I've shared it. Back years ago, I went to a, wasn't really a youth pastor's conference, it was just a spiritual leaders conference in Georgia, and Jeff Foxworthy was there. And he was telling stories about you might be a Baptist redneck if, and he said make change in offering plates, and he done all this stuff, you know. And it was pretty funny. And then he made this statement. He says, I, I got to share this story before I quit, and everybody was laughing, okay? He said, I got a friend of mine, I think he lived in Texas. He says he's got all these cows, but he says this farm they were at, he said they share cows, they share a pasture. And he told Jeff, he said, you want to see something neat? Jeff says, how do you know which cows are yours? He said, watch this, and he makes this loud noise. And all his cows come into his little part of the pasture there. He says, my cows know my voice. They're my cows. And then we're just listening to Jeff Foxworthy, and Jeff Foxworthy says, listen, one day, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to shout with the voice of the archangel, and he says, his sheep hear his voice, and they're going to follow him. And he says, you can be a pastor, you can be, he went into the whole thing about the gospel. He says, just like a farmer's cows know their voice, you will know your father's voice at that time. First thing John heard, heard was the voice, and it changed him forever. Not only that, but notice what else. Notice not only his voice, but his, his robe. It says he has a garment down to his feet. Any Jewish person would understand that all three particular branches of men in the Old Testament wore such robes. Prophets, priests, and kings. And when you think about the garments of Jesus in his earthly walk, think about this. At birth, he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. During his trials, we looked at last week, they mockingly put a purple robe on him as, as he would have been a king and really made fun of him. At Calvary, he owned a beautiful seamless robe, and according to John's gospel, in John 19, 23, and 24, it was given to him by a dear friend or admirer. You need to mention his garments that he was buried in. A clean linen cloth, no doubt, was used to wrap his dead body. And then John records this. This is the last thing John saw of Jesus uh, before he resurrected or after he resurrected, then went into the empty tomb, talking about John, also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw the grave clothes and believed. When John went into the tomb, he saw the grave clothes of Jesus. They were in the form of a body, and they were a little bit invented, is what John's gospel says. But there's no body. You don't unwrap those grave clothes. You just come out of them, come through them. And the Bible says that when Peter and John went to the tomb, Peter looked in and walked out. John looked in and says, I know he's resurrected from the dead. It's amazing. So John now sees Jesus, this, this glorified Christ, in a different type of robe. In a different type of robe. But the Bible also tells us, John records that as his second coming, this robe will be dipped in blood according to Revelation 19, 13. Then John sees his head. Notice what he says. 
His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. One scholar put it this way, of the amazing things to me is that John's two word pictures here are wool and snow. Are the same two Isaiah used in the Old Testament verse, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be as red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Which talks about the eternal security of the believer and the fact that only God can save. But think about this. The head of Jesus was cradled in the Virgin Mary's bosom as a babe. He, that head of Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. The head of Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. It was also a buffeted head during his arrest and trial. There was a very head that had it wore a crown of thorns. And then finally that head of Jesus bowed his head and gave up the ghost and said, It is finished. Notice next, his eyes. Think about this. His eyes were like flame of fire. Jesus could see things that other people missed. In John's gospel, the same one who wrote the book of Revelation, John says this, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. Think about that. Many people believed in him because of what he did, and Jesus said, you don't, you're not following me for the right reasons. Jesus could see that. His eyes could bring conviction. After Peter denied Jesus, we're told this in Luke's gospel. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, three times you'll deny me. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. But Jesus also had eyes that looked at sinners with love. When he was talking to the rich young ruler, the Bible says, Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross, and follow me. The last time John had saw Jesus before his resurrection was those weak, bloody eyes on the cross. But the next time, he says, they'll be as a flame of fire. Think about that. The book of Hebrews says this, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All things are naked and open. Jesus sees all things. He sees all the things that should be a comforting thing. Think about this. He reads you like a book, and he sees you for all that you are. To the seven churches, he would say this in, in chapters 2 and 3. I know your deeds. You have a small name, but you're doing great work, he would say to some of the churches. I see that. I see every bit of it. I see it. He even said, if you give a cup of cold water in his name, you'll be blessed for it. All the things that nobody else acknowledges in your life, Jesus sees it. Isn't that good? He sees it all. He sees the little things and the big things. God sees what you do in his name, whether your name is, whether other people acknowledge you, acknowledge you or not. God sees that. That should bring great comfort to you. What a comfort. But also, it's also convicting. Notice what he said to the church at Sardis. He says this, I know your works, that you have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. He goes on to say this to the church at Laodicea. He says, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because Jesus sees all things. Imagine one day standing before Christ as judge and seeing those eyes. Isn't it amazing how you look somebody in the eyes and you can tell if they're being honest or not? I remember being at Sugarloaf one time I was in the fifth grade. IQ of 210 or something. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I went into Joel Blackburn's office and Joel Blackburn would do this. And I'm not going to tell you what happened, but I was summoned to the office, right? All my partners in crime denied everything. But here comes Jamie Steele. And Joel sits on in his desk and he says, look me in the eyes, Jamie. And I said, I'm guilty. That's <laughs> all so I could say. I'm guilty. I did it. Throwed everybody under the bus. Didn't get ice cream for a week. None of us did. Okay, why? Because I think about this. I looked at a principal whom I respected, who had authority, and I just fell under the weight of it. Imagine looking at these eyes. That's why the Bible says if you're lost here today and you stand before God in judgment, you won't say a word. You won't. There's nothing to say. There's no defense. Christ is your defense now. Give your life to Jesus now. Okay? You'll stand before the penetrating eyes that are like a flame of fire. That can be both comforting and that can be convicting. And I'll tell you this, Jesus knows your situation. Nobody else may understand what you're going through. Do you hear me? Nobody else knows what you're going through like you do. Nobody knows how you hurt like you do. 
Nobody knows how much pain you're experiencing like you do. Okay? But Jesus does. And go to him. Run to him. Cling to him. Allow him to be your refuge and your strength because he knows every part of you. And that's a blessing. Or it can be a curse. Those eyes, John said. I saw those eyes and they were like eyes. They were like fire. And then he talks about his feet. He said those feet are like brass, like fine brass. I'm reminded of Isaiah. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. If anyone ever brought good news, it was Jesus. Luke, the doctor Luke, uh, records in Acts how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, talking about his feet. He just went about doing good. Everywhere, one, one pastor said, everywhere it's recorded that Jesus went in the Bible with one exception, he walked on those feet. And if you study the New Testament, people fell at Jesus' feet begging for healing. Matthew 15, 30 says, Then a great multitude came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at the feet of Jesus. People worshipped at the feet of the Jesus. When Jesus healed the leper, he came back and fell at his feet. Every time you see Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, she's at Jesus' feet. Luke records it this way, And she, Martha, had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Jesus has victorious feet. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, For he, he must reign, talking about Jesus, till he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. Jesus walks on death. Trust Jesus. In Ephesians it says this, that the Father has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things in the church. These feet, John said, are just like fine brass. All his enemies are under his feet. Then notice in verse 16, his hands. The Bible says that in his hands he has the seven stars. And if you study the rest of this chapter and the next chapter, that's just talking about literally the messengers to these seven churches. And what Jesus is saying is this, your preacher's in my hand. He is in my hand. That's why the book of James says this, don't many of you desire to be a teacher because you will receive the stricter judgment. Why? You're in his hand. You're in his hand. God is sovereign over who he places over churches. He is. And what Jesus is saying in these stern rebukes to these seven churches in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3 is I'm going to hold those messengers responsible for the message they preach. All right? And I would tell any preacher that's listening to this message this next week, you're in his hands. Don't change the message. Amen? All that Matt, John, said, John said, I bore witness to that message. And I was willing to go to jail or even die over that message. And pastors, do not... Change the message just to get people to come to your church because it's the message that draws people. He said, these men, these men that are leading these churches, they are in my hand, that strong, sovereign hand of God. When, when you think about God's hands, the Bible says in Psalm 8 and 3, when I considered your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, he created it with his hands. One scholar says he had healing hands for thousands in Luke 4, it says, When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And then he had nail scars hands, too. We looked at that last week. He told Thomas, the doubter, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And then we have this great... A promise from Jesus in John 10, John's Gospel. And I'm thinking John probably had this in mind when he talked about his hands. John records this. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That's the security of the believer, if you're his. Those hands, the same hands that holds the preacher up, holds you up. Jesus said, nobody can snatch you out of my hands. What a blessing. So John's seeing all these things about Jesus, and he says, I see his hands. And isn't it amazing that when John saw Jesus, it said that he was in the midst of those seven lampstands? Jesus was in the midst of the church, which tells me this. And then Jesus goes on in the next two chapters to talk about seven churches that were strategically placed in Asia. And Jesus said, I'm in the midst of these churches, and this is what's good and bad about these churches. To, to one, he said, you've lost your first love, repent, or I'll remove your lampstand. Which tells us this, where would Jesus be today? Well, he'd be in church. 
Isn't it amazing that the only time some people ever come to church is on Easter or Christmas? Jesus would say, make church a part. The only thing that God mentions in his word that Jesus is in the midst of is the church. It's not a business. It's not a club. It's not any of these other things that we see as important, which they are important. But Jesus sees what you're doing today is very important. It's very important what you're doing today. You should make church a part of your life. And don't use online services as a substitute for meeting in person. Amen. Because God has ordained what you're doing today. Nothing else in Alexander County that's going on today is ordained by God. But what you're doing today is. And the Bible says when John saw Jesus, he was in the midst of the churches. In the very midst of them. Because the church is the bride of Christ. So what you're doing when you pull up here and you get out and you take a seat for an hour, God says, I've ordained that. I've ordained what, that, what you're doing. What you do after church today, maybe not so much, but what you're doing right now, and all the churches that are meeting right now, God's ordained that. It's something he's called us to do. And it's a blessing. Don't ever take it for granted. I've never seen God use anybody mightily that wasn't part of a local church doing something. Okay? So I would encourage you. I would encourage you to, to be a part of the church. Jesus loves the church. The final thing we'll see here is this. Notice the passion of the king. There's two passions I see here. And the first one is to be worshipped. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like dead. I fell at him like dead. He said, I just fainted in a sense. Daniel had a similar reaction. Isaiah had a similar reaction. Peter had similar reactions. Paul, when he went up to the third heaven, he said, I couldn't even talk about it. Here, John is overwhelmed by God's glory and also his goodness. Notice what he says. John falls down like dead. He might have went unconscious. We don't know. And then Jesus touched him and said, He laid his right hand upon me and said, Do not be afraid. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that amazing how the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords can lay his hand on you and say, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 2020, now 2021. This is what I would tell you. Jesus is your Lord. Don't be afraid. Be cautious. Be smart. Be healthy, but don't be afraid. What scares you in life? Think about that. What, does anything scare you in life? Does anything scare you? I was asked, Jamie, does anything scare you? A plate of cooked cabbage and a tornado scare anybody. That's about it. You know why? Because I have Jesus. What is there to be scared of? And notice what he says. Jesus says this, I am the first and the last. I am him who lives, present tense, and was dead. Nobody has ever been was dead. See, Lazarus was resurrected, and then he died again. Jesus said, I was dead, and I am alive forevermore. Amen, he says. He adds the amen. And then he says this, and I have the keys of Hades and death. I find it uh, amazing that oftentimes when the Bible talks about hell, it talks about a gate. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Job talks about the gates of hell. You know, gates have to have a key holder. Somebody has the keys. The one with the key has all the authority. The one with the key has all the authority. And what Jesus is saying is this. Now look at me, everybody. I'm just going to be honest with you. I probably preach more funerals than anybody in this county. All right. But one thing I do know we all have in common, that if you're his, he has the key to your death right there, of Hades and death. God is sovereign over death. If I die today, or even before this service is over, it's a sovereign act of God. It is. My life is in His hands. So as John worshipped, Jesus is also saying this, not only is my passion to be worshipped, but my passion is to be trusted. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Christ? Can you trust Christ with your soul? That's why the Bible says you believe in Christ. You believe He rose from the dead, and you believe His salvation is enough. That brings salvation. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Without that, you can't be saved. See, when I was 20, I placed my faith in a resurrected Christ. Just placed my faith in Jesus. This morning when I got up, I placed my faith in Jesus. The same faith I had then, I have now. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Jesus wants to be worshipped, John would tell us, and Jesus wants to be trusted. Can you trust him with your soul. And if you can and you're born again, can you trust him with your situations? It's amazing how I can give Jesus the most important part of my life, my soul, but I can't give him Friday. I can't give him Monday. 
I can't give you my marriage. Can't give you my job. Can't give you my Yes, you can. You can because he's sovereign and he loves you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm going to ask your musicians to come. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him? I would say if you're here today and you never placed your faith and trust in Christ for salvation, that even now, you don't have to pray out loud. God knows your heart and he loves you. Repent and place your faith in Christ now and be born again. God saves instantly. God forgives instantly. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. No one can forgive your sins but Jesus. He knows all about you and died in your place. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, trust Him. And then for those that are saved, worship Him with your life. Your life is an act of worship. Give your life to Jesus. Give your future to Jesus. Because He lives. Because He lives, we can face tomorrow. Father, we, as we come to You in prayer, we love You. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank You for this incredible portrait of the sovereign King of Kings. Father, we're so thankful that, Lord, like John, when, when we're overwhelmed with even Your glory, Lord, You love us and tell us not to be afraid. And Father, as Your church, we have the best news in the world to share, and I pray that we would do that. Lord, for some of us today, we're going to find our purpose in your kingdom. We're going to say yes to it today. Lord, for others of us, we're going to trust you today for the first time with our salvation. And we're going to be happy. We're going to rejoice. And it's all because he lives, Father. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people say together, amen. We're going to ask you to stand with us as the praise team leads us in the first and last verse of Because He Lives. God bless you. I hope everyone has a happy Easter Sunday and hope to see you back here next week. You're dismissed. Thank you.